We have been discussing the, the Olivet series, and we've been discussing the rapture of the church, and we discussed the, the parousia, the coming of the Lord, and so we're going to take a break from that today to deal with Easter and, and uh, the resurrection of the Lord, as better put it. But this is, this is a little different. It's my job to make you think. It's my job. It's my calling to make you search the scriptures. And sometimes it's my calling to make sure that your election is sure. So I gave Dan and Jerry a little warning Wednesday. I said, you may want to sit on the back row after today. But anyway, they were going to talk about one of the, the most darkest, the most wicked hour in history especially in the scriptures. And, and I know you was coming to talk about the resurrection of the Lord in the three days and all that stuff, and I'm, I'm with you 100%, but we're, we're, going to, we're going to get right down to where it really matters. It's found in Mark chapter 14, verse 43 through 46. And immediately while he was still speaking, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a, is a term used called the oil press. There was an oil press in the middle of the garden. And they would, when they harvest all of their olives, they would bring them to the center of the Garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means an oil press. It was an all thread with a wheel on it. And there they would begin to turn this all threaded on this huge wheel. And, and it would begin to mash the olives. And that's what's going on right now. Jesus is being mashed. It's not necessarily the skin of it. It's what the contents of within the skin. And what's about to happen in him, the Garden of Gethsemane, is a metaphor of really what this is going to paint you a picture this afternoon or this, this morning. So immediately while they were speaking, Jesus and Judas and one of the twelve, which with a great multitude with swords and clubs, this is the temple guards and they came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. They're coming to the Garden of Gethsemane to get him. And his betrayer, which is Judas, had given them a signal. The King James used the word token, but saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately that he went up to him and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him, and they took him. I'm going to set the stage for you for this night. One day before this night event, a meal was being prepared in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a prominent man that was healed of leper by Jesus, and because he was healed, he threw a big feast for him and his disciples. And so now they're all gathered, and it's a great time of celebration, and this is one day before the kiss of betrayal. One day. Two days before Passover. So they got this big feast going on, and somebody said, hey, by the way, I smell something wonderful in here. And somebody said, 
it's Mary. She's broken a box of alabaster. And alabaster was a, a highly perfumed ointment in a box, very expensive, and it was used for people that were dead. That way that the, the stench of death would not overtake them until they were entombed. And it was symbolic that she was preparing him for death, of course. But, but this is the unraveling of Judas Iscariot, this meal. You'd be surprised of, of, of what can come and unravel in your life, even in the midst of, 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 of Christ himself, if you're not careful. So we've got this great big meal going on, and, and, and she's broken this box of alabaster. She's anointing his feet. And, and the question came up was this, that this box of alabaster was one year's wage. So kind of keep in mind that for three and a half years, they've been following Jesus and they've just been eating off the, the leftovers, the, the corners of the round fields. And they were just picking up pop cans if they had pop cans and they they were just getting by. And so for three and a half years, they have forsaken all these things and, and, and they've been clipping coupons and barely getting by. And at this festival, this lady brings out a box of alabaster worth one year's wage. And she breaks it and puts it on his blue suede shoes. And it did something to the disciples, not only Judas, but it did something to the rest of them. But Judas perked up and said, you've wasted a year's wage. We've been starving to death. We've been eating out of trash cans. And for the first time in three years, we have someone, and I'm not going to ask you what you make, because I know some of you make well over a million dollars a year, but, but whatever a year's wage to you, he just poured it on the bare feet of Jesus. And, and the unraveling began. The spotlight was on Jesus. And now Judas was overwhelmed and outraged with jealousy. The Bible says in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, says, Jealousy is crueler than the grave. There's no room for jealousy in this church house. And I want to tell you, if there's jealousy in any area of your life, you need to get rid of it because it may be a sign of what happened to Judas Iscariot. Because Judas Iscariot, his name is Judah and Kerioth, the city where Elijah lived. He was the only one that was raised in rabbinical school. The rest of them were smelly fishermen, but not him. He was an educated man. He knew all the ins and outs. And so now then, something happened to him on the inside. And we're going to look at two things that happened. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went into the chief priest, which was his friends. He went to school with them. And said unto them, Bill, Fred, George, whatever he called them, what will you give me? And I will deliver Jesus unto you. And they said, 30 pieces of silver. And 30 pieces of silver was what a man's wage was, what his life was worth. And from that time, he, Judas, sought opportunity to betray him. It was at that moment, that unraveling, that it was in his heart to betray Christ. 
because he felt like that he was being overlooked of all the accomplishments. He was the money keeper. You understand that? He was the treasurer. Are, are you with me? Matthew was the tax collector. He, was, he had a degree in finance, but not Judas. But he handed the purse to Judas, and he said, what we could have done with that $30,000 or $40,000 right there. Oh, we could have fed the poor, but they wouldn't have. The Bible says that when this happened, an evil spirit entered into Judas. Satan entered into Judas. And now Judas is out of control. The steering wheel has fallen off. Rage, jealousy, and hatred, and it's out of control. Satan has now entered into Judas Iscariot, the Bible says. And now Satan has fully control of his life. He's about to fulfill his destiny. And he betrays him. He betrays him with a kiss. Psalms 55, there's three verses. 55, 12 through 14 says this. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. And neither was he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man my equal, my God, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together, and we walked to the house of God in company. Now, this is not talking about the betrayal of Judas Iscariot and Jesus. This is talking about Ahithophel and David. Ahithophel was David's best friend, and we're not going to get on this lecture. But he said, if, if, it, if it had been my enemy, I, I, I could have. Has anybody here, don't raise your hand. Has anybody ever betrayed you? Don't raise your hand. I know you want to. And what they, they said that I do at the altar, but they, they did not at the wedding. You've been betrayed. And, and, and if, it, if it had been your, you know, if, if, if it had been your enemy, you, you could have swallowed it. And, and if it had been somebody that was a Hatfields and McCoys, we would understand that. But it wasn't. It was a person that sat right next to me in church. And we had a Bible study together, we thought. And all it was was this witch's brew. We just happened to throw a few scriptures in there. I could have took it if it was... An OSU fan. I could have took it. But an OU fan? I don't know. A Longhorn, Long, Long Grove, Longhorn alumni. I don't know. Jesus said if this was more than, than just an enemy. This was more than just somebody. This is somebody that I spent three and a half years of my life with and at the, because of jealousy and because the spotlight was not on them that they thought it should be. They betrayed me. Mark 14, verse 44, says this. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, or the King James says a token, and he said, whomever I kiss, it is he, or he's the one, seize him and lead him away safely. There's two things I want to talk to you about. Number one, that there's a question, but most temple guards probably didn't know who Jesus was. Most of these soldiers didn't have a clue who Jesus was. I mean, there's, there's way too many people. I mean, his name, 
His picture wasn't on the post office and every, on every telephone pole. So by law, they had to have some, some substantial truth that it was Christ. So when you get the idea, why did Judas have to kiss him? So he said, this is a token or signal that I'll set up. The guy that I'm going to kiss, that is he. Number two, the word kiss is a word called phileo, where we get a word for friendship, but it's, a, it's an act of deep affection towards someone. It's not sexual. It's a kiss is not, this word kiss is not sexual. It has everything to do with, it's an act of, of a special relationship. A grandmother kissing a grandchild. A father and a mother kissing their children. A weird uncle kissing the nephews and nieces. It's a sign of affection. Matter of fact, Paul tells in Romans 16, he's telling them, he said, there's so much forces coming against us. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It means mean it. What a horrible paradox that the kiss was intended for honor and affection. And the affection should have been expressed in his devotion to Christ, but instead of honor and affection, the kiss was given in hatred and vengeance. And see the word safely? Go back to the scripture, please, if you would. See the word safely? So I'm going to kiss him, and, and before you arrest him, I'm going to kiss him, and that way you'll know who to arrest and lead him away safely. I want to say this to you. Judas was not talking about Jesus leading him away safely. He was expressing the idea that it would be of low, low risk for those who were about to arrest him because they heard rumors about him. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime you hear a rumor that somebody prays for somebody and they raise from the dead, I'm going to be very careful when I confront them. Anytime that I hear rumors that somebody can walk on water, I'm going to be very careful when I bring accusations against them. And so here's Judas saying this. I'm going to kiss him. Here's the sign. And it's not going to be of love and affection. It's because it's not. It's going to be out of hate and vengeance. But I'm going to mark him. It's the kiss of death. And because of the setting, you guys can get him quickly and you can get him out safely without, without risk of losing your own life. Because keep in mind, Judas Iscariot was raised in a rabbinical school. He knew the consequences once the Roman guards got a hold of him. He knew. It's a great Easter message. Mark 14, 45. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him before he kissed him, and he said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, I think a little bit different than you do. How many heard that story? Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Did you know that there is what we refer to as a nomenclature in the scripture when you repeat the names? And the word nomenclature, it means it's a combination of a couple things. But to repeat the names twice, it means something in the scriptures. Okay? So I'll show you. In the Old Testament, Abraham and Isaac 
on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, 11 and 12. He takes his son to the altar and he raises back the knife and we're not going to go to the story. And God out of the heavens says, Abraham, Abraham. God encourages Jacob, who was afraid to go to Goshen, Egypt, and God said, I'll go with you. In Genesis 46, 2-4, he says the word to Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Moses encounters God at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. Somewhere on the backside of nowhere in the median desert, God says, Moses, Moses. First Samuel 3 and 10, God is about to call the, the child Samuel as a prophet. He's buried up in the backside of, of the wicked and corrupt Eli's as the priest in the temple. And God calls the boy's name and he says to him, Samuel, Samuel. When Elisha saw Elijah taken into heaven in the chariot of fire, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, Elisha says, my father, my father. When Absalom, which is David's son, upon the death of his son in 2 Samuel 19, verse 4, David laments over Absalom and says, Absalom, Absalom. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks tenderly to Martha as she constantly complains, and he says in Luke 10, verse 41, Martha, Martha. Now, for you that are old, we used to call it Marcia, 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 but it's not Marcia, Marcia, Marcia on the Brady Bunch. When Simon Peter vowed that he would never deny Christ in Luke 22, Jesus said, Simon, Simon. Jesus stands and laments over the citizens of Jerusalem, Luke 13, verse 34, and he says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a, as a hen would gather her chicks, but you would not come. The apostle Paul, which was named Saul of Tarsus, on his way to Damascus, God smites him to the ground, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And on the cross, Jesus cries out in Mark 15, verse 34, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the last one is what I refer to as the great pretenders on Judgment Day. It's found in Matthew 7, verse 21, 23. I'd like to read this, please. And kind of keep in mind, this is right at the beginning of his ministry. Wow. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios, it means supreme authority over all. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter to the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? The word prophesied is where we get a word called foretell. One is foretell and one is foretell. It means to proclaim scripture. But Lord, did we not read your Bible and proclaim something you said in the Old Testament? 
in your name? And did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do many wonders in your name? Lord, Lord. Look what he says. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, to repeat the names expresses the personal affection towards someone. Today in Christian churches and circles, people always ask this question, do you know Jesus? And immediately we shoot up our hand and say, yes, we know Jesus. But the issue of today is, it's not the fact, do you know Jesus? The question is, does Jesus know you? And so, I'm, I'm not trying to be a doggy downer here today. But you may say, well, I preach the gospel. I understand. I've casted out demons. I understand. I've done some wonders that made the people stand up and pay attention when I walk in the door. I understand. Jesus has already talked about you in Matthew 7. Does he know you? I made a friend of mine pretty mad at me a couple of weeks ago. Imagine that. And he started wanting to give me a lecture. I said, don't ever lecture me about biblical principles. You don't come to church. You never come to church. You sit at home. You live like hell. Don't talk to me that your eternal salvation you got in the Baptist church when you was 12. Go read Matthew 7, 22 through 26. You may know Jesus, but I'm afraid to tell you, he may not know you. Because if you know him and he knows you, then you will want to do the will of the Father. And I'm going to tell you straight face this morning, because I happen to love you before I retire. The question is not that you know him, but does he know you? I never want to hear him say, depart from me. I never knew you, but it's been in my heart to please God. It's been in my heart to promote my Father. It's, it's, it's in my blood to talk about His kingdom. We're not trying to build a church here. My name's not on the building. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to add on. I'm not asking God to cause us to be great. I'm just asking God for Him to be great in you. That's the kingdom. Lord, did I not lead a Bible study? You did. Did I not pray for something and they got up and walked off? They were sick. You did. But I've never known you. Boy, that, that does something. It probably doesn't do something to you. It does something to me. It makes me evaluate where I'm at. In Matthew 27, 16, so you, you say kind of yourself, then why would he even say that? And I'm awful glad you asked that. Because of the arrest of Jesus, they bring him to the palace courtyard. It's, it's a miscarriage of justice. And 
And so it was a custom of the Jews that because they, it was some type of a legal contract they made in fairness, which wasn't fairness at all, that before they would execute one, they would, they would give them an option. It was kind of like the two escape goats. One could live and one could not live. And so they bring him gagged and bound into the center square of the, of the, of the city or the temple area. And he says, and Pilate says, we have a custom here. That, that we'll let you choose. It's kind of like running for president, kind of, but not really. But we'll let you choose. And so they drug out the most murderous one they can find, Barabbas. They got him from the back of the back. He was a prisoner that was in the back of the back of the back of the back. He was a murderer. Not only a thief, but a murderer. And so they drug him to the front, and it should have been a no-brainer. We have, a, we have a complete murder, and then we have one that says, I find no fault in him. Because the policies of the Jews. So this is where this gets interesting. So they bring Jesus and Barabbas side by side. And Pilate said, this is a no-brainer. I'm washing my hands of this. You choose. And how many know you just can't wash your hands of anything? And this says, you can either choose Jesus whom that I find no fault in him. Even the Lord spoke to my wife, said he's, he's, he is the king of the Jews. But, or you can choose Barabbas, this smelly, he's killed people in this city. You know who he is. And you know what they said? Give us Barabbas. When I said a while ago that in Matthew 7, and, and it says that those that does the will of my father, Barabbas is an Aramaic word. So I'll, I'll break this down for you. The word bar is son. So just leave that up for a moment. Bar is son. Like um, Matthew 17, 17, we're going to call it. When, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Simon, son of Barjona. The word bar is son of, of Jonah. His father was named Jonah. Simon, Jonah's son. Barjona. So, let's say this together. It'll keep us all awake. Bar means son. Somebody tell me what Abba means. See, this section did not know. You knew. Don't worry about it. I gave them a cheat sheet before church. They don't anyone know either. So Abba means father. First thing in Jesus' ministry, he doesn't call God, God, Elohim, Adonai. He calls him daddy, Abba. Boy, that, that really, first thing, that ruffled their feathers. How dare you call him Father. So we have two words, Bar is son and Abba is father. The problem with this, there's an S on the end of it. Many fathers. Oh, come here, Virgil. Come here, Chuck. Oh, I like to do stuff like this. Come up here. 
So we have Jesus of Nazareth that's perfect in every way. <laughs> I'll get to you in a minute. Nice and handsome and always smiling. He's perfect. But then we have this scallywag. Oh. And he's been kicked out of every school in Carter County. And who do you want? And, and, and the whole crowd said, we want Barabbas. So here's, here's the point. He's a son of not one father, but many fathers. You've all slept with his mother spiritually. He is a product of you. Hate, rage, jealousy, murder, envy, gossip, backbiting, reproach. Every one of you, that's who you are. And the reason why you want him is because he's your son. Thank you. Let that sink in for a moment. No wonder they killed Jesus. He said, you with hate in your heart, you slept with his mother. You that are adultery, you slept with his mother. Every one of you had a relationship with his mother. And he is a product of who you are on the inside. And no wonder they want him because he belonged to all of them. I find myself in a world that absolutely I don't even have an, a good description for, especially in the church. We used to have values. We used to have some morals. We used to have decency and honesty, and we knew how to keep our mouths shut and wouldn't stir up a stink, but those days are gone. We used to have respect for the pulpit. We used to have respect in the house of God. We used to have all that stuff. Even though you didn't agree, you, you kept your mouth shut because you was afraid to speak against the leadership of the church. And I'm not saying you do. But Barabbas was this. The reason why they chose him was because they looked at him and said, he come from my loins. And that's who I want. Now hear me out this morning. We're leaving. Don't just flock into a church that somebody that can tell you exactly what you want and who you are and say it's okay if you sleep around, if you slip around, if you do around. Listen, don't do that because if you do, unfortunately, Matthew 7 may be in your future. We should have one desire, and that's to honor our Father. I only have one Father. I only, I only serve one. And his name is Christ Jesus. Amen. I only have one father and he's the king of all glory. Amen. And no wonder not everybody's filing in here. I don't blame them. Because they got hell on the inside. But I'll tell you, if your heart is right and your mind is pure, you alone to know truth that comes with knowing Jesus and him alone. Amen. See? Amen. So Lord, Lord, 
it was a term of affection, but they really didn't meet it. It was the, the betrayal kiss. Rabbi, Rabbi, I don't really mean it. So this morning, before we leave this place, this is what happens is this. I don't give altar calls. I know that bothers some people, but it's okay. I don't need you to come here down to the front. I'm just needing the Holy Spirit to go where you are right now. Father, this morning, I, I never want to repeat the words that Judas Iscariot repeated, Rabbi, Rabbi, Lord, Lord. And there'd be things in my heart that I really don't mean what I say. It was just all pretentious. It seemed to be the right words in a crowd, but it was all fake. It was all pretending. I pray this morning in the year to come that we would just serve you with all of our heart. Forgive us of our imperfections. Help us. We cannot do this by ourselves on our own. The more we struggle, the more that we lose ground. And I just pray this morning that we as this church, that we would just throw up our hands and say, I can't do this without your help. The more promises I make, the more promise I break. So, Father, I pray this morning that everyone in this place, no matter where they are spiritually and what level they are on, that they'll meet you with honesty and sincerity and say, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me. Help me. Father, we live in a church age. We're not for sure. There's so many signs and there's so many people giving us wrong directions. We're not for sure. But we know this thing for sure. You are the only way. And we decided this morning that we're going to follow you and we're going to trust you. So help us. And God forbid that we would ever deceive ourselves thinking that we prophesied, shared scriptures, performed miracles, and it was for all not. Because Jesus wasn't real to us. If you're in this place this morning, you've never really been born again. I say it's a simple because it's not simple, but it is. But, but the Holy Spirit has to draw you. And, and I pray that the Holy Spirit is drawing you now and rearranging the furniture in your heart and removing the, the trash that's in your mind. And he's setting up his furniture and he's, he's placing the home sweet home sign on the walls of your heart. Come into our life today. Help us promote your kingdom. We don't want to be Barabbases. We don't want many fathers. We just want one. He's a holy God. And for those, the rest of you, we've been born again and saved and by his grace, but we're still struggling and we're still stumping our toes from time to time. 
He loves you. And he's in the business of helping you. All we have to do is ask. Here's the gospel. Jesus was born of a virgin. For 33 and a half years, he lived a vicarious life without sin. He was hauled in into a mockery of a judicial system. He was whipped, he was beaten, and a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He was betrayed by one of his best friends. They crucified him. He died. They put him in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, the tomb could not hold him. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And he sits now as king of our heart and our lives. And Jesus Christ is coming again. That's the gospel that we declare unto you today. And Father, we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Stand to give the Lord a praise offering this morning, would you please, huh? Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, communion service, please come. I don't want you to answer this, but here's the deal. Have you ever been betrayed? You're in good company. Have you ever been betrayed by someone that you went to church with? You're not alone. There's no feeling any worse than to be betrayed. Some of you have been betrayed in a marriage. Some of you have been betrayed because your family didn't want of you. Some of you have been betrayed because maybe your parents left you on the doorstep. Some of you have been betrayed because people didn't seem to like you anymore. You was the wrong shape. You was the wrong color. You was the wrong size. So you was betrayed and you've carried that your whole life. But here's the good news. Just because somebody may not have wanted to be around you, Jesus wants to be around you. And he will never betray you and he'll never leave you and he'll never abandon you. That's the promise that we've been given. So let's serve him. Let's continue to go forward. Let's honor him. Let's do the will of the Father. To hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. 2,000 years ago, our Lord sat with his disciples. We celebrate Holy Communion every week. It's the last thing that he told us to do. And he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the Passover, the first Passover of Moses there in, in the land of Goshen. You take the bread, the unleavened bread. It was the bread of haste. But Jesus said, now then, I am the bread that my Father sent from heaven, and if any man eat of me, he will never hunger again. And then he took the cup. It was the third cup of four that night. It was called the cup of redemption. And he said, in, in the first Passover, 
you would take the lamb's blood and you would take it and you place it on the doorpost in the shape of a cross. But now my father will take my blood and he'll place it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And when the death angel will come, he will pass over you. Father, bless this communion this morning. We want to please our Father. We want to do His will. We want to follow and serve You. In Jesus' name, amen.